Glory to God. God's good. <clears throat> Today, while we were doing praise and worship, I just had this, this strong sensation of the Lord looking on us and smiling. You know, um, I heard a uh, prophetic word not that long ago, and it was this, and um, um, it said, it was this, never in, never in time has there been so many people on the earth that hate God. And we went, and he said, never in the earth has been there, there been a time that so many have loved God. And real, all of that saying is the dividing line, you know, you're not, you're not sitting on the fence anymore. You're either in love with God or you're not. And um, I believe God's in love with this house. God's in love with this people. You know, the word is clear that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for a people whose hearts are loyal to him, where he can show himself strong. It's like, I'm here. I'm here, God. You can show yourself strong on my behalf. Amen? Hallelujah. So today we're going to, as Pastor Jerry said, we've been working on a series, and this series is really about preparation of the church, getting the church ready for what is coming. Um, it's good. You have to know it's good coming. There's good coming in the earth. There's good coming for the church. There's good coming for the people of God. It's getting to be our time. It's getting to be our time. Amen? Hallelujah. And not just the time that we've talked about, but it's going to be a time of demonstration of what we've dreamed about. Amen? So if we will, go with me to Psalms 34, 8. We have to keep ourselves grounded on this truth. In Psalms 34, 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see the Lord is good. Taste. The Lord is good. Always good. Every time good. So that means that if we are demonstrating the Lord, that people in our life, should taste the goodness of God. Amen? God is always good. There's nothing bad in him. But then we moved the next week, and we talked about sin. And we talked about what sin is. And um, we tried to expand on the fact that sin is more than a behavior issue. Sin is not just the fact that we misbehave. But we looked at it and saw in the Hebrew picture that sin in pictures literally means to build a wall. Now, that would explain to me why the enemy is so excited to get people to sin. Because every time they sin, there's another brick added to divide them from God. There's another thing divided. The other thing we looked about um, concerning sin was that Sin is doing what's wrong, but sin is also not doing what's right. And we're all familiar with the fact of sin is doing wrong. Sin is murder, covetousness, adultery, but sin is just as much not forgiving, prayerlessness. It's for the person that knows to do what they should do and not do it. Knowing what you should do and not doing is sin. Knowing to do good and not do it is sin. So we understand then that why we have sometimes walls in our life is because I know I should be praying. I know I should forgive them. I know I should release them, but I haven't. Well, the problem with that whole mentality is there is a wall. There is a wall of dividing. You are not connected with the breath of God like you could be because you have not done what you know to do is right. Does this make sense? See, it's not just behavior in wrongdoing. And what we have to do is we have to embark on a journey of keep the walls out. And it's interesting, and I made this comment last week, it's interesting to me that when people um, do wrong things, 
or don't do right things, the first thing they want to do is hide behind the wall. Don't let God see this. There isn't anything you can or cannot do that God doesn't know about. When you confess your sins, is it when God finds out about them? Okay? He already knew. But for in all intents purposes, we have to see that when we wall out God, when we build a wall to keep God out, we have created two different atmospheres. We have created the atmosphere on this side of the wall, and there's an atmosphere on that side of the wall. This side of the wall is the curse because the breath of God doesn't pass it, okay? But out here is where the breath of God, the life of God is. So what we have to do in life is endeavor to keep the wall down that the blessing of God, the life of God, the goodness of God has constant access to blow across our life. And so we can't get to the place where we're hiding behind a wall because we don't want him to know. We don't want to feel we're wrong. We don't want it to be exposed. We don't want it revealed. But understand, here's the curse. So why would you hide in the curse in order for security and safety? It makes no sense when you think about it. The curse is not a safe place to be. The curse is not a secure place to be. But bless God, I don't want God to find out. I don't want any church people to know. I don't want to be exposed to this. But don't hide in the curse. It is much more of a blessing. Come clean and be free. Than hide and live in the curse. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we have to understand that this is the fact. Our sinning or our falling short or not doing what's right or doing what's wrong doesn't ever change this out here. It never changes God. It never changes God. The goodness of God is not changeable. The goodness of God is never changeable. The question is, is it accessible? It's not about the goodness of God changes. Well, God used to care about me. God used to do this for me. God used to love me. God, I used to know this about God, but not anymore. Well, the goodness of God hasn't changed. What has changed is if the goodness had access to you. What's changed is the walls of I just got to do things my way for a while. I just don't want to think about that. Well, the access is determined by you. You know, in book of Revelations, it says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Well, he's God. God doesn't really need to knock on a door to get through it. Do you understand what I mean? He doesn't need. He could walk through a door. But he respects and regards humanity so much that he never goes where he's not wanted. He never goes where he's not accepted. So he, being the gentleman he is, just waits. And what he does is he waits for invitation and access. So we have to see that sin is the cause of separation. Sin is the barrier, but sometimes we have to understand that sin is more than behavior. Sin is choices of will. Sin is choices of activation or non-activation. Sin is not doing the right thing when we know we should do the right thing. Hallelujah. All right? But the problem with that for the enemy is that these walls can easily come down. He don't like that. The enemy has been sentenced to eternal damnation. He has already been sentenced to eternal damnation. And the frustration he's got is when we act like him, we're still not sentenced to eternal damnation. We're never sentenced to eternal damnation like him because 1 John 1, 9, you could even put that up on the board if you'd like. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, if we confess that we've got a wall, 
He is faithful and just to forgive it and to take down the wall. Okay? So the activation again is from us because the enemy wants these walls to be permanent. So he continues to work in our life to keep us separated from God. But God said, if you'll just confess it, if you'll become aware of it, if you'll know it and you confess it, I'll be certain the walls come down and you have full access to my goodness. Hallelujah. But that is very frustrating for the devil because he knows that he has no chance of forgiveness and redemption. And with every breath we take, we have another opportunity for forgiveness and redemption. Hallelujah. All right. And then the next week we talked about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how the convicting of the Holy Spirit was nothing more than nudges in the inner man to keep us from building walls. That our access to God remained entire and remained complete. Okay. And we saw that the Holy Spirit was to give us an awareness and that we be awake, that we could see where there is a wall. You know, sometimes in my life, I go along and just um, sense that there's not, I don't want to say feel because that's not right. I just sense there's not the connection with God that I had at one time or one moment. You know, and so if you go before the Lord and say, Lord, somewhere, because You and your goodness never changes. Somewhere, there's something in my life that's putting a brick in the way. Something is off. Something is not quite right. And the the ministry of the Holy Spirit then is to make me aware of where that is. And he might say things to me like this. Do you remember when, um, when Jerry said this to you and you responded back to that? That, that, that put a brick in there because you know better than say stuff like that. Well, it was not a big deal. He laughed, I laughed. It was a brick. It was a brick. And because what happens is bricks, bricks attract bricks. So when you start building, then the enemy will say, well, and I can say, well, it wasn't a big deal. It's okay. But the next time, It just adds a little more. Well, it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's okay. It's not a big deal. And it just gets taller and taller and taller. See, because bricks attack bricks. It's like, if you think of it like this, if you think about um, being a vessel for God and a, let's say it this way, a hose for the glory of God to flow through. Once there gets to be a little rock and a little more rock, It just starts gathering everything to make it plug. And that's the way it works in things like this. And so we have to understand that this convicting, this convicting, these nudges by the Holy Spirit is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We saw literally that that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to keep you in a place that there is no separation between you and God. Now think about that. That was the reason Jesus died. And if Jesus said, it's better that I go away, so that ministry of what Jesus accomplished is the ministry the Holy Spirit is still doing in the earth today. He's still trying to tell people, you've been reconciled to God. He's still trying to tell people, you have authority over principalities and powers. He's still trying to tell people, there is no need for any wall in your life. Amen? Now, let's, let's think about this for a minute. If the Holy Spirit's ministry is conviction, and I want to avoid conviction, that means I'm avoiding the Holy Spirit. If that's his ministry. And one thing we need to understand, if we avoid conviction, it doesn't mean we've done no wrong. What it means is there's no deliverance from our wrongdoing. Because the Holy Spirit not only carries the conviction, he also carries the power to overcome. And so avoiding conviction 
is self-justification, but is not wall taking down. And the more we become self-justified, the less likely we become God-justified. And I would certainly rather have God take up my case than me take up my case. Amen? All right? And so we have to, we have to keep it in our forefront that conviction in our life is a good thing. That means the Holy Spirit's working. When the, when the Spirit of the Lord says, don't be anxious and fearful about this anymore, that's the Holy Spirit giving me a nudge because my fear and anxiety could be building a wall. When the Holy Spirit says, don't do that anymore, I have to understand my refusal to listen to him causes that wall to be built. And I, you have to understand that one of the greatest treasures you have in the earth as a believer is attending a church that has conviction in it. Attending a church that has conviction in it. If you can go to a church and there is no conviction and the Holy Spirit is the convictor, you fill in the blanks, right? Hallelujah. We want conviction in our life because that means the Holy Spirit's working on us. We want conviction in our life because then we know that God loves us as we looked at those scriptures and we know the Holy Spirit is doing something in us and with us. We want conviction. Conviction is not belittling or demeaning. Conviction is liberating and freeing because when you think about his ambition is to keep walls out of our life, I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is showing me where I could have a wall between me and God. Right? You don't want a wall. All right? So praise the Lord. So without the church having any conviction, there will be always compromise. If you don't have conviction, you'll have compromise. But then we looked at repeated refusal of conviction. What it did was it will sear your conscience meaning the conscience will get burnt to where it doesn't feel, doesn't have expression, no longer senses the Spirit of God, and no longer does it have a sense of awareness of right and wrong. In fact, um, let's go to that Luke eleven thirty four verse, and we'll look at that. This was one of the scriptures we use. The lamp of the body is the eye, therefore when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Do we have that in the Amplified, Kelly? Okay, here it is. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye, your conscience is sound and fulfilling its office, your whole body is full of light. But when it is not sound and is not fulfilling its office, your body is full of darkness. So that tells us right there how important it is that we not sear our conscience. Because if our conscience is seared, then, our, then we are full of darkness. I didn't say that. That said that. Okay? So what we have to understand is we have to protect this thing called the conscience, and the way we protect the conscience is following the biddings of the Holy Spirit when he says do or don't do. That's what we have to do because our conscience is a regulator for activities in life. Amen? So then we went on last week and we talked about a thing called sanctification. And sanctification being the setting apart or dedicating our lives to God. We looked at the thought of being a sanctified vessel or a vessel set apart for God. And we saw that um, we had to clean out all dishonor. And what we found out was what dishonor is anything that blemishes or stains God's reputation. And we were to cleanse ourselves, it said, from any, any dishonors. So we have to understand that God wants us to clean ourselves from anything that blemishes or stains God's reputation. You know, God has a reputation in the earth. And if unless... We are the people of God like the word says we're the people of God. God doesn't get seen for who he really is. And what we want to do is we want to demonstrate what he's really like, who he really is. And then we looked at Matthew 5, 13 and 14. We have those scriptures. 
You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. We have to understand that God has always had an answer for darkness in the earth. He has always had an answer for corruption. He has always had an answer for evil. But his answer was always found in his people. When there was a fiery furnace and there was idolatry being forced in the earth, he had a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that wouldn't bow. And in that moment of not bowing, they were thrown into the fire. They come out not smelling my, like smoke. And there's a new decree. It's their God that's the real God. When there was a lion's den, we had a Daniel. So when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den and the lions suddenly go to sleep and they're not hungry, okay? Then what we have following that is we have a king that says, this God is the right God, the one of this man. Everybody has to worship this God. See, it was just a moment. There was an answer for all the evil in the earth. We're talking about an entire nation was flipped by one man following the true God. Hallelujah. And it was the answer. And what happens is when we don't conduct ourselves like light and salt, the world is left in a place of confusion. Because they don't have a standard of what's right and wrong. They're not listening to the Holy Spirit to know what to do or not to do. So, they, you know, one day I was watching someone on um, a uh, newscast. And I knew they were lying. And they probably knew they were lying. And a lot of other people probably knew they were lying. But the Spirit of the Lord stopped me and said... They don't know they're lying until someone comes with the truth. They don't know they're lying until they're coming with what they believe, even if it is a lie, because deception in the garden is still works today. And so they had been deceived, and until something comes along, or someone, I should say, comes along with the truth, they don't really have any idea of the depth of the lie or the deception they're walking in. So it makes me understand how much God needs us. How much God needs us. Because we are the answer. When a children of Israel were trapped in bondage, he found a Moses. When there was a Goliath, there was a David. He always had an answer, but it was always in people. And, you know, we look at those people and assume that they probably flitted to and fro before they did their big thing. All they were is people like you and I that loved God and had a hunger for him. That's all they were. That was the mandate. And that hunger set them in a position of seeking God that he could do great exploits on their behalf. Amen? All right. So last week then we finished up looking at this scripture. And I want to go to it again and we'll take off and finish this off today. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse 16... We have Jesus and Peter having some dialogue. And Jesus is wondering who people say he is. And Simon P Peter answers and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answers and says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Verjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, not the rock of Peter, but the rock of revelation that Peter got. Every, every successful church in the earth will be built on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the rock of every Christian church. Jesus is the anointed one. And Jesus is the son of the living God. Not just a good man, not just a prophet, not just a historical figure. The rock of Christianity is built on the fact that Jesus is the anointed one, the promised one, the one that was to come, and he is the son of the living God. Amen? So that was the rock that this church was going to be built on. For he says, on this rock, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I want to go back and look at this a little bit. He said, on this rock of revelation, he's going to build something. God is going to build something. And what he's going to build is a thing called his church. He's going to build a church. And this church is going to be built. And it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay? There is no prevailing against the church. That word prevail means to overcome or overpower, but it means to be superior in strength. Okay? Think about this. The gates of hell will never be superior in strength to the church. And it means to accomplish one's desire. Like if you prevail in your weight loss plan, if you prevail in your whatever it is, means you've accomplished your desire. So it's telling me that the gates of hell will not accomplish what they desire in my life. The gates of hell will not accomplish what they want to do in my life. All right? Now, listen to this. This is out of the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. The gates of hell, it literally has that in there, are the power and dominion of the devil. It's likened to a vast prison. And we have to understand that what gates do is provide access, passageway, entrance, and opening. So when the devil tries to get in your life, and make a passageway of his access. If he wants to have a uh, a way in, an opening in, because I'm part of the church that believes Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, there is no opening for him. There is no right way for him. There is no passageway for him because I have a promise right here that his gates will not overpower or have its way in my life for anything. It cannot. It cannot have its way. But I want to go back and look a little bit about this thing called the church. Okay? Now, I am not a Greek scholar. But I know how to read Greek scholars' works, okay? And so this word church is the word ekklesia, okay? Ekklesia. All you SMTI people, you know what ekklesia is, right? Okay. And this is taken from Rick Renner's Sparkling Gems 2 book on page 436 and 437. He's got full credit for it, right? All right. And we, I think we have some of those available in the media account, those books. They're about this big. But they're great devotional books. Okay, so this is what he says. He is a Greek scholar. The word ekklesia is a compound word. And the first part is ek, and the second word it comes from is kaleo. And the, it has the idea of the word ek, has the idea of exit or separation. Something separate, something that's come out of another place. And the word keleo means to beckon, to call, to summon, or invite. So we see what the word ekklesia is then, is is these people that have been called out to be separate. They're the ones that have been summoned to be different. Those are the ones that have exited from a previous place and are now found in a new place, okay? It denotes a called and separation to a prestigious assembly, meaning not everybody is automatically ecclesia, but the ones that have heard the call have heard the summon, have heard the invitation, have come out from something, and now they're a prestigious assembly. Hallelujah. All right? 
Now, this word comes because it was originally used in Athens. And in Athens, we see they had this ecclesia. And what it was, it was a group of people that they had called out among the citizens of that area. And those people were called out um, as distinguished people that they were to determine laws. They were to debate public policy. They were to debate formulas. And they argued and ruled in judicial matters. They even elected the chief magistrates of the land and any decision that would need to be banished and so on. Okay? So to be called out to be part of the Athenian ecclesia and to be invited to be a part of that was a great honor. It was a great honor because they were going to make decisions for the rest of the whole entire place. Now, the reason the Holy Spirit chooses the word ecclesia to describe God's people becomes more and more evident as we study this subject. The New Testament meaning of ecclesia is clear. The, the church is a body of individuals who have been called out, called forth, and separated for the purposes of God. If you're in the church, if you are born again, you heard the summon, and you've been called out to be a prestigious assembly in the earth. Okay? The church is composed of people who have been called out to make eternal decisions that will affect the very atmosphere of their local region. This is the definition of ecclesia, okay? God never intended for the church to be simply a quiet, hidden body of believers. Rather, a church was to be his voice and ruling power in each community. It was to be a special assembly comprised of people who have been called out to make decisions that will impact the atmosphere and their local environment for God. Are you hearing this? This is who we are. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against this group of people that have been called out to rule and reign with the wisdom and the mandates of heaven in their region. Amen? All right? It says... God's plan for the church was not that they hide and cower in fear, but rather that they rise to a position of power and prominence in the place where God had called them to. They were to fulfill their specific assignment for their region. The church is intended to be a brilliant beacon of light in the midst of dark and troubled towns, cities, and regions. That's who we are. That's who we are. It doesn't matter if the world likes us or not. We are called the ecclesia. We are the standard. We are the light bearers. We are the truth bearers. We are the ones taking evil down. We are the ones that are separated into a prestigious assembly, hearing the voice of God and mandated it in the earth. That's who we are. We are the church. We no longer have to be in intimidation or fear. God called us powerful just by the name he put on us in calling us the church. Just the fact that we are called the church means that we are an authority. The problem is, is sometimes we haven't come away far enough from the way the world looks, that they notice we're any different. And what happens is we have a wall that's as far as I'm going, God. That's as much as I'm going to do 
That's as, that's, that's as far as I'm going to go with you because what I'm wanting is a Christianity that I can live with rather than a Christianity that changes the world. And God's saying, no, you need a Christianity that's going to change the world if you want to be a part of the ecclesia. Hallelujah. And so then in verse 19, he gives us some clues. He said, I'll give you keys. Ecclesia, I'm going to give you keys. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Whatever you permit, now we have some understanding. Whatever the ecclesia permitted got to be here. Whatever the ecclesia refused, it had to leave. Maybe our permission hasn't been enough godlike that it allowed some things that we don't like no more. So what we have to do is waken to our prestigious assembly that we are a part of that the gates of hell cannot prevail against and start binding and start loosing with the commands from heaven so we can see some things change in the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. Permitting and forbidding. Let's go over to Ephesians 5. Hallelujah. Ephesians 5. And uh, Pastor Jerry went over this much yesterday. But I just want to bring out a phrase. In verse 27. That he, talking about Jesus, might present, and it's talking about the church, to himself, a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. God is looking for an ecclesia where he can pour in his glory because he wants to make a presentation of a church filled with the glory. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is the presence of God with all its power, unhindered, unlimited, and uncovered. That's what a glorious church looks like. And God is looking for a place to dump his presence, to dump his power, to dump himself where he is not restrained and restricted, but that this church, this prestigious assembly is open for God to flood through, for God to flow out of, for God to be seen. He's looking for an assembly. I say we will be that assembly in this house. Amen. God is expecting an assembly for glory. He's expecting an assembly for glory. Let's go over to John chapter 14. Hallelujah. John chapter 14 says this. Jesus said this. You know, it's in red. Hallelujah. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Now, I haven't seen that yet, but he said that is going to happen. Now, I understand that we can consider greater more in number, or we can see greater this way or this way or this way, but you know what? We got to get out of religious spirit thinking. When he said greater, he meant greater. He meant greater. He also said in Ephesians 3 there, he said, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Well, if I can ask or think it, I haven't got into greater yet. Right? If I can ask or think it, I haven't got into greater yet. Because he obviously has reserved an outpouring of greater things that the church is going to do. And it's not just more in number. In fact, I looked up this word greater, and it said um, greater in number, quantity, but also greater in intensity and degree. Greater in intensity and degree. We have to make God bigger than our mind is able to think. We have to make God bigger and greater and stronger. Amen? In fact, if you go over to Romans 10, we have to understand a little factor here. Romans 10 says in verse, uh, 
I think I didn't give them the right. Just verse 14. We'll just go to verse 14. No, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, but then it says in verse 14, but how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The preachers are part of the ecclesia. I want to say it this way. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom the ecclesia is not talked about? And how shall they hear without the ecclesia talking about it? Right? How, are, how is the world going to be getting changed? They're not just going to get changed by us sitting in here and praying. They're going to get changed when you start telling them, Hey, I know a good God. I know somebody that can help you. I know somebody that can get you free. I know somebody that can take you out of the curse into the blessing. I know somebody that is bigger than this problem you've got. But how are they going to, how are they going to do that? When they have, they don't believe, but they can't believe because they never even heard that. We are in a day and an hour. Do you remember how all of us learned about David and Goliath? You learned about David and Goliath watching a pro football game. You know, the giant. You understand? I'm telling you, we've got kids in schools that have never heard of David and Goliath. We've got kids in schools that have never heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We got adults that don't even know what we're talking about. Hallelujah. Because they haven't been told. Because they can't believe in something they never heard about. And they've never heard it because nobody's talking about it. And it's our responsibility to start talking about these things. Amen. Let's go over to Ephesians 1. We're almost finished. Are you making it today? Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1. And it begins, I want to, this is one of those uh, Pauline prayers that Pastor Jerry was talking about. And this is what I need you to see in verse 22. And it says, and he, Jesus, put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, the ecclesia, which the ecclesia is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all? So what we see is the church is the fullness of him. Our minds can't even comprehend that. The ecclesia is the fullness of God. The church is the fullness of God. Let's look at it in the Amplified. It says, and he has put all things under his feet and has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercise throughout the church. So what we're supposed to be exercising is Jesus is in charge. Amen. Jesus is Lord. That's what we're supposed to be exercising. He is the head. And he says, this headship is the exercise throughout the church, next verse, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body, in the ecclesia, in us, corporately gathered together, lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself God is wanting to fill the earth with himself but the tool he has is his body the tool he has is his body and he wants to make everything complete everything perfect with and he fills everything everywhere with himself I'm ready for God to fill everything, everywhere with himself. 
everything, everywhere with himself. I'm ready for him to fill our schools everywhere, everything with himself. I'm ready for him to fill our hospitals everywhere with himself. Our Capitol buildings, Washington, D.C., Salem, Oregon, Redmond, Oregon, Bend, Oregon. I'm ready for him to fill everything, everywhere with himself. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we are the ones to operate in this headship because we are the ones with no walls. We are the ones with no hidden agenda. We are the ones that have been called out. We've been sanctified. We're moving by the Spirit. We're not been given place to the curse. We have been those people that have been called out to exercise that, to live that. Amen. I want to go to one more scripture here in Isaiah. Hallelujah. We need to wake up with this fact. Jesus is in me. Jesus is in me. The answer of God is in me. He is what I, he, I am one of his answers. I'm one of his answers. For somebody's life, I am the answer. I'm going to be commissioned for somebody's life to help them, to get them out from behind the wall and get them on the other side. I'm the one that can demonstrate the goodness of God. We are the answer. We are the answer. What was it last week I made that comment? The only thing evil needs to prevail is good people doing nothing. Let me say it this way. The only way the world prevails is when the church does nothing. The only way the world prevails is the church does nothing. We have to be awake and aware. Be, be in a place. Remember, think how we built this. We talked about no sin. Then we talked about conviction of the Holy Spirit. Then we talked about being set apart. And now we're talking about the assignment we've got, the church. And the thing of it is, is some people say, well, you're going to get too violent. Not if you're being led by the conviction of the spirit. See, we built on it. They're going to go do this. Not if you're led by the conviction of the spirit. If you're led by the conviction of the spirit, you're safe, you're protected, and you are an influence. There is a way that is God. There is a way. There is a method. That is completely God birthed and carried out. But we can't under think that the way is, I'll just hide in my house, us four no more. It'll blow over. It'll be okay. I want you to know somebody is sweating blood on your behalf to make it different. One day, one day I was driving down the road and um, we had had an intense, intense nation prayer time that time. And this was back a year. Um, or so, and we had had an intense prayer time against some demonic forces. And I was just driving along, and I said this because you know, sometimes I build walls too, and I wasn't doing the right thing. And I said, Lord, these people don't even know that there is a group of people at our church giving it everything they've got to make their life better. And he said to me, He said, When I walk the earth, there is a people that had no idea I was going to pour out my blood for what they needed. Okay, I'm corrected. Do you understand what I mean? Don't, we're the ecclesia. We're not supposed to be the ones that are going along for a good ride. We are supposed to be the movers and shakers. Amen? Hallelujah. So we see this scripture. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the West? Hello, we're living in the West. Okay. And his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now, I know some people have said, well, you know, that flood is supposed to say when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So I went back to the original text and it looks more like this than that. Okay. So what I understand is this, when the enemy comes in, 
everywhere trying to. He said, the Lord has an answer, but he's going to raise up a standard. And this word standard is a people that won't bow. A people that won't bend. When the enemy comes in, there is a people that will not cower. They will not cave. They will not weaken. They will not allow garbage in their schools. They will not allow abortion to continue. They will not allow this kind of stuff happening. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is going to lift us up. The Spirit of the Lord is going to lift up a standard. What is he going to do? Build a brick wall? He's not going to build with post and pillar. He's going to build with people and preachers. Amen? Because without a standard, things have no boundaries. Without a standard, there is no stopping of darkness. Without a standard. And we have to understand that in this world right now, here we live and here much of the world lives. Devastation, heartbreak, hurt, pain, trouble. You know, not every person living over here wants to be here. And most of them that are indoctrinating people over here are deceived. They don't even know what they're saying. You have mercy on them. You know not what you're saying. You understand what I mean? And so we, as the people of God, have to take it upon ourselves. I want the goodness of God everywhere in everything. I want the goodness of God everywhere, everything, for every person. We want the goodness of God everywhere, and we have to find a strength. Because what we're supposed to do is we need to start and crushing that stuff out of the way, out of the way. Get it gone. Get it gone. Get it gone everywhere and everything. Get it gone. All the junk, all the trash, they're trapped. And we're the answer. They're stuck. We're the answer. They're lost. We're the answer. We're the ecclesia. We're the prestigious assembly. We have it. We can do it. Everywhere. Everything. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you get something today? All right. You better stand to your feet. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WO Victory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.